عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله. Dear brothers and sisters, if you can quiet down, please, and seat quickly, so we can get straight on with the keynote speech for the evening, and indeed the keynote speech for the conference. The topic of which is Allah's final revelation to mankind, to be given by Sheikh Jamal Zarabozo. He will talk, inshallah, for approximately one hour, and then there's a short space, 20 minutes. We can have questions, which you are requested to write down your questions. There'll be no questions from the floor, only via paper, inshallah. So please write the questions down, and then some brothers will bring them to the front. So I now hand over to Sheikh Jamal Zarabozo. Jazakallah khair. الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مذل له ومن يذلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد Actually, after the uh, previous lecture, Sheikh Salem came up to me and said that uh, he apologizes for taking up some of my time from my lecture. So I told him, well, actually, you didn't just take up some of my time. You also took the lecture in itself, uh, <laughs> Allah's uh, final revelation to mankind. <clears throat> so, inshallah, you're going to see me uh, tonight trying to improvise uh, so that I don't, inshallah, repeat most of what uh, Sheikh explained so beautifully in his, in his lecture. And so therefore I'll try to discuss maybe some aspects that uh, we sometimes do not discuss in a lecture of this, uh, this nature. I think a good place to begin a lecture about the Qur'an is to go to the Qur'an itself and find what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has himself said about the Qur'an. Obviously no one is going to know about the Qur'an better or more than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about his own speech. And of course there are a number of verses in the Qur'an which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Qur'an and describes the Qur'an. And I have chosen one in particular to begin the lecture and inshallah to set the stage uh, for the lecture inshallah. Another thing in Sheikh Zalim's lecture I noticed that besides taking all my material as I noted, he mashallah also did not take a drink of water while uh, giving the lecture mashallah. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him continual strength mashallah to give lectures of, of that nature in the future inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an قَدْ جَاءَكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ نُورٌ وَكِتَابٌ مُّبِينٌ يَهْدِي بِهِ اللَّهُ مَنِ اتَّبَعَ رَضْوَانُهُ سُبُلَ السَّلَامِ وَيُخْرِجُهُمْ مِنَ الظُّلَمَاتِ إِلَى النُّورِ بِإِذْنِهِ وَيَهْدِيهِمْ إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ 
As I said, this is one of a number of verses in the Quran that we could have selected, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself has described the Quran to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, There has come to you from Allah a nur, a light, meaning a new, a new light and a clear book, by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides all those who pursue His pleasures to ways of peace and safety and freedom from evil. And He leaves them out of darkness by His will unto the light. And he guides them to a path that is straight. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this one verse in the Quran has given us many of the attributes and characteristics of this Quran and what this Quran should mean for us. It is a light and obviously a light of guidance, a clear book, a book whose teachings are clear, understandable and in a sense, easy to apply. In other words, you can understand what is the goal of this book, what is it trying to teach you, and what you have to do to implement this book. And it is that by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides those people who are seeking His pleasure, guides them to ways or paths that are pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that are free from evil, paths of safety and security, and it is the means by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings people out of darkness into light by His will. And it is also the means by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides to a path which is straight. And as Sheikh Salah mentioned in his lecture, if you look at the world around us today, and you think that we have this Qur'an, and every Muslim will say and every Muslim will admit that this Qur'an is the final revelation. And it is meant for all of mankind until the day of judgment. That means it is meant for us today, in our situation, in our civilization, in our life. And it will be meant for everyone after us until the day of judgment also. But if you look around us at the situation of the world today, and you look at the Qur'an, you do not find the light of the Qur'an being taken and being implemented and being used or benefited from in the way that it is supposed to be benefited from. And the way I want to begin this lecture Again, trying my best not to repeat the, the same the things that Sheikh Salem mentioned. I want to begin the, le the lecture by asking a very simple question. A question that we all have to be frank and very honest about. How much of our life is really based on what the Qur'an is teaching and what the Qur'an is presenting to us? How much of our life do we turn to the Qur'an to get inspiration, to get guidance? Or has in fact the Qur'an be, become something which is somewhat marginalized in our lives? And 
as Sheikh Salem mentioned, if you look at our lives today, and you try to think about really what is the basis for our lives, what is the basis for our lifestyle, what is the basis for what we want to do in our lives, what are our goals, what are our aspirations, how do we behave? When do we sacrifice? When do we not sacrifice? What do we sacrifice? Are we actually taking these things from the Quran? And so therefore basing our lives on the, on the Quran, but, or if we look at our lives, as I said, do we find that there's lots of other influences that are actually taking a predominant place in our minds, in our attitudes, and maybe we're not even aware of the fact of how much these other influences are dominating our way of life and our thinking. When you think about the globalization of the world or the development of a global culture that many sociologists and others are talking about today, we see that in fact the interaction between Muslims, the interaction between Muslims in a general sense, in a wide sense, the interaction between Muslims today and non-Muslims is greater than it's probably ever been in the history of Islam. Because of all of the global means of communication. You know, whether it's TV through the satellites, whether it is the internet, whether it is radio, whether it is, whether it is media. All of these things are coming to the Muslims in such a way that Sometimes when you think about it, you cannot imagine even how much we have entered into this kind of culture or accepted these means of media without really thinking much about what is the effect that they are having on our lives. You know, a, a Palestinian brother just uh, recently returned from visiting some of the Palestinians in Jordan. And he showed me a, a picture of the place that he, he visited. Palestinians, basically refugees. They cannot even afford to put a solid roof on their houses. Or more like you can call them shacks that they're living in. They have like a, aluminum temporary roofs. Yet on almost every roof you, you see in this picture, there's a satellite dish for TV. These are the Palestinian refugees, basically. Cannot even afford to have a nice roof on their house, yet they have to have the satellite dish so that they can communicate and be really actually more than communicating, taking in the media that is around the world. And of course, there's no coincidence that the price of the satellite dish and the monthly charge is very cheap over there. Another brother came back recently from Tunisia, and the same kind of thing. He said they're over there, they have like 200 stations, and he was trying to convince them that even here in the United States, where he's been living for many years, did I say here in the United States? <laughs> okay. 
even over there in the United States, you know, if you visited the United States, there's not that many houses that have satellite dishes on them. You know, they're getting 200 stations in Tunisia, and he cannot convince them that, you know, we don't even have this. In fact, I know that in my neighborhood, there's like four satellite dishes, and all of them belong to Muslims, but that's a, <laughs> I guess that's another issue. But even in the Muslim land itself, you know, someone living in the United States, he might have a satellite dish so he can see, for example, programs from the Muslim world. But what we're seeing more and more is within the Muslim land, we find these satellite dishes so that they can take and see what is happening in the non-Muslim lands. They are looking for something. When you think about it, it looks like they're looking for something and they're hoping there may be something that these satellite dishes are going to provide them. Are going to give them that thing that they are that they are looking for. And in fact, one of the most dangerous aspects of this interaction, cultural interaction that exists nowadays between the Muslims and the non-Muslims is that it looks like it's a very friendly interaction. In other words, when the companies go over there and sell them satellite dishes so they can get stations from Europe and the United States, they think they're getting something good and you know they're presenting it as a good thing. So it looks like a, a friendly cultural exchange. It's not like the times of the past, for example, like the Crusades where they're going out to destroy Islam. And the Muslim sees that they're coming to destroy Islam. Now the things that they're giving the Muslims may be just as dangerous in a sense, but the Muslim is not, is not recognizing it. It's not recognizing what is really having a dominant effect on his life. And if you think about, if you think about the common Muslim, if there is such a thing, <laughs> let's assume for the time being there's a common Muslim. If you think about the common Muslim, and you think about the amount of time that he is bombarded with this cultural information, that he is absorbing, either, either realizing how he's absorbing it or not realizing it. And you think about how much time that same person spends in reading the Qur'an, and studying the Qur'an, and learning the Qur'an. Again, the common Muslim. You think the common Muslim gets up at Fajr time, he prays Fajr and he opens the Qur'an and he starts reading Tafsir? Probably not. At least not what I've seen. Unfortunately nowadays, he'll finish the Salat, he'll either get the morning newspaper, turn on the morning news, or turn on the internet. And of course, he will give many reasons, oh, we have to be up, uh, you know, in touch with the world and all this stuff, very nice arguments. <laughs> Even if those arguments are taken as valid, there's no excuse for not spending the necessary time in reading the Qur'an. So we get the generation, and not just the generation in one part of the Muslim world, but as I said, virtually all of the Muslim world now is being exposed to this kind of information in media. Even Oman, don't see Ali, even Oman that was 
you know, virtually closed for many years. Nowadays, they want to open the door up for tourism. They're getting all the satellite dishes. Almost every area of the Muslim world nowadays is being exposed to this. And what are they getting from it? Well, one thing that they're getting is maybe some kind of new information, science or technology. Another thing that they're getting is what we could call pseudoscience. And if things presented as science, which in reality are not, is not knowledge, is not science, but unfortunately the Muslim absorbs it as being science, as being like fact. And inshallah I'll give an example of that nature. And the third thing that they're getting, that seems to me also very, very dangerous, although not many people seem to be talking about it. But they are getting the, how can I put it even? See, nobody even talks about it, I can't even think of how to say it. <laughs> They are they're getting the desire for entertainment and enjoyment and pleasure. Not just the desire, but the overriding desire and want to be entertained. From the time that they're young, they are brought up in this way. So much so that nowadays even, even the dawah is affected. Even if you want to make da'wah, this aspect of how people are, are growing up in such a way that they don't really have to sacrifice, they don't really have to work hard, but mostly they are being entertained. Even if you want to make da'wah, you have to be what they're calling nowadays infotainers. You give information, but you have to entertain at the same time. Because if you don't entertain, then people have so many other things that they can do that are more interesting and more entertaining that they'll go and do those things and leave even if you have the best and the most important speech you could possibly give if you're not entertaining like Sheikh Salem for example <laughs> then they're going to find something else to do so I want to uh, discuss a little bit about these aspects that are coming to us and then remind us of the Qur'an and how the Qur'an puts these things in the, in the proper perspective. And the, four, the first thing that I want to mention and perhaps probably really the most important is that aspect that I already alluded to that when, when we have even technology transfer, even transformation, transfer of information, that transfer of information is usually transferred in, in certain ways or in, you know, has to be dressed up in a certain way and given in a certain way. But the problem really that we are having as Muslims is that we are not just taking necessarily technology or scientific facts. But if you look, if you look at our youth, for example, who have been influenced by, by this for many years. But even if you look at the previous generation, you see that also the thoughts, the way of thinking, the dreams, and what someone wants to become in his life, 
his aspirations. The idea of what someone has to be and has to have in order to be happy. What he should consume. What are his values, his ideas of what is a good life. Actually, all of these different kind of things, all of these things are coming to us as Muslims. And we are unfortunately absorbing it, and many times we don't even realize how much we're absorbing it, and how much it is affecting our lives. I'll give you one uh, example. Uh, I'm going to mention something that as Muslims, I would hope, you know, none of us know about it, but probably every one of us will know about it, including myself. <laughs> and that's MTV. How many of you heard of MTV? None of you, you know, no one's going to raise his hand now, of course. <laughs> Mashallah, see, Sheikh Jafar from the old, from the old school has <laughs> not heard of MTV. MTV just celebrated its uh, 20th uh, year in existence. And the, the last statistics I could find about MTV are kind of old, and I'm sure that the numbers are much, much bigger than this. But in 1993, MTV was available on a daily basis to 210 million households in 71 different countries. That was in 1993. That was before even many of the Arab countries started piling on the uh, satellite dishes. So the number is obviously much larger nowadays. Especially among our youth. In fact, uh, in one study discussing MTV by uh, two economists, actually, Robert Barnett and John Kavanaugh, they said that M MTV may be the most influential educator of young children on five countries. But if you're familiar with MTV and how it gets to the people, it doesn't get to them like the standard form of, of uh, advertising. Even the standard form of advertising, right, has some, has some you know, little subliminal messages that they throw in there, right? Like you want to buy a new car, well, they're going to show you the new car and they're going to show you a beautiful woman next to it, right? Uh, you know, what's, what's the beautiful woman got to do with the car in reality? Nothing, but... Well, in reality, maybe something. <laughs> you buy that fantastic car, and then there's the woman who goes along with it. You know, you have, it's like an option on the car. You have the standard equipment, and then, uh, <laughs> then comes the option. So the same, but what happens in, in MTV is MTV sh shows you a set of musical videos. And these musical videos, when you study them, as some people, even non-Muslims who study them, they are, as they, as they describe them, the performances and the ads merge to create a mood of longing for someone to love, for something exciting to happen, for an end to loneliness, for things to buy, a record, a ticket to a rock concert, a t-shirt, a Thunderbird. And the advertising is all the more effective because it has not been acknowledged as such. People don't see what they're showing them. You know, you watch these videos, if anyone has seen any of the videos throughout the years, you see that it is portraying something to the youth. It is showing the youth, for example, what is a good life? You know, when, when are things good for the person? When he's sitting by the pool, drinking something and having all these women around him, or if it's a woman, you know. 
And when I was reading about MTV, uh, it reminded me of something very important that we see in the, in the Quran, a verse in the Quran. Because you, you have to realize that people will not, in general, people will not long for something, will not desire something, if they don't see it, and they don't witness it, they don't realize even it's there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Uh, talking about the person among the uh, Bani Israel, Qarun, whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given many of the things of this life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَخَرَجَ عَلَى قَوْمِهِ فِي زِنَتِهِ فَقَالَ الَّذِينَ يُرِدُونَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا يَا لَيْتَ لَنَا مِثْلَ مَا أُوْتِيَ قَارُونَ إِنَّهُ لَذُو حَظٍ عَظِيمٍ وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمِ وَيْلَكُمْ ثَوَابُ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ لِمَنْ آمَنَ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا وَلَا يُلَقَّاهَا إِلَّا صَابِرُونَ Here in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying the Qur'an came out to the people with, his, with all of his, with his adornments. And when they saw these adornments, those people who did not have the deep knowledge of what this world is about and what these adornments are about, when they saw it, they said, Oh, woe to us, we wish we had like Qarun. And those people who had ilm, which nowadays those people have ilm, in other words, like those people who read the Qur'an and understand the Qur'an, and understand what these things are of this life. They told them, that they said, Woe to you, the, the reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is much better for those people who believe and do good deeds. And this is actually what advertising is all about. You keep putting the thing in front of the person until the person decides or thinks that he needs it. Not only wants it. Not only wants it, but he needs it. He needs it for what? He needs it to be happy. And many people, if you are not... Someone, for example, who reads the Qur'an or a lot, someone who has the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has in His mercy bestowed on us in the Qur'an, you will easily be fooled by this kind of thing that you will see. And unfortunately, as I said, we are at a stage where unfortunately our youth in particular and I've seen this among many parents, and I, I always hesitate to talk about parents because, you know, for those of you who know me, I don't have any children, so it's like, uh, you know, let me just sit back and throw rocks at you people. And, uh, <laughs> but I've seen this among many, yani the, the job of the parent, the job, the main job, the most important job of the parent, save yourselves or protect yourselves and your family from the hellfire. And when the child is still young, the, the parent has to have the willpower and the knowledge and the strength to know what is good for the ch child and what is not good for the child. And many of our children, unfortunately, they are being, they are, they, the, some of the parents nowadays are using TV like a babysitter. How many of you have seen that? Now all the single brothers can say, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. <laughs> Especially, by the way, 
where there's a pressure on the on the mother to work also. So now you got the parent, the father and the mother coming home tired. The last thing they need is some child bothering them, you know, saying, let's play, let's do this and this and this. They're exhausted. So just throw video on, turn the TV on. And they entertain themselves, you know, they're finally quiet and, and, and they can rest. But what are they being brought up on? I know some Muslim parents, they trust, for example, the Disney station. You have the Disney station here on your satellite dish? Okay. So the brother answered two questions, right? He has a satellite dish and he has the Disney station. <laughs> but I'm sure you've all heard of Disney, right? So some Muslim parents, I've discussed with some Muslim parents, they think, you know, Disney is something for children. You know, you go to... In fact, you have Muslims. You have Muslims from all over the world spending thousands of dollars to go to Disney World in Florida or Disneyland, you know. They say, oh, you know, it's for my kids. You know, they're my kids. They need to... <laughs> when I was a kid, my father would give me, you know, like a, a branch of a tree and say, go to the backyard and play with this and be happy. <laughs> you know, now they're spending three, or $4,000 to bring their children to, to Disney World. So I had a chance to put on... Uh, on Disney World one time, you know, just, uh, I think it was in a hotel room or something, flipping around, seeing what is the media all about nowadays. Uh, I guess my satellite dish wasn't working that day, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's, here's, here's Disney, they have these young actors, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, around that age, you know, I don't know exactly, and a little bit older. And they have them sitting there, not as actors, but of course you know they're actors. The kids watch them in the show, so they think, oh boy, here's this great guy, you know, he's a great, he's an actor and all this. And they begin to like uh, these, uh, these people. So they have the kids sitting there as, not as actors, but as individuals, you know, as themselves. And the segments I saw, they are talking about what they're going to do the first time they go on a date. How should they meet the girl? How should they ask the girl out? And this kind of thing. And this is what your, your child, if you think you know, you're going to put on something and you think it's safe, this is what you're exposing your child to. I know some parents who are, mashallah, very happy that they have no TV in their house. Mashallah. And then their four-year-old daughter is on the internet all day long. Four-year-old daughter, <laughs> you know, they think, okay, no TV and we have the, you know, Four-year-old daughters on the internet and getting to internet sites and they cannot figure out how, they, how the daughter got to them. But that doesn't wake, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't <laughs> kind of ring a, a warning bell there. You look at the channel, oh, I don't know how they did that, oh, mashallah. <laughs> don't even know what your child is getting into. And you don't know what kind of effect that these things can have on the person. There are some effects that seem, though, relatively clear. One is that effect that, that I described. That as they are exposed to these kinds of things, they become, uh, after time, they begin, to be, they begin to think that they need them themselves. But another aspect also, is that a lot of times the media gives people ideas that they would never have thought of before. You know, because lots of, the, lots of the media nowadays is what they call sensationalism. 
You know, they need people to watch their show so they can get advertisers to pay more and so forth, right? That's the way the TV works. Well, maybe not in Britain. I don't know. You can scratch that if it doesn't work in Britain. <laughs> but in the United States, for example, that's the way they work. And in general, that's the way they work. So they kind of sensationalize everything. They look for the strangest things that have occurred, the strangest stories, the weirdest stories, or the most horrible stories, and this is what they present. And as I said, maybe a person would have never even thought about doing this, but because of the TV, because of the media that he's being exposed to, he gets these ideas. And that's actually been the case in, uh, in the United States with some of the school shootings. When they talk to some of the kids, the original kid first saw it on a movie and so he did it at his school. Second kid saw it on the news, so he saw the kid doing that, so he did it and so forth. You always have copycat murders and copycat things of that nature. And of course, they don't just tell you what happened, <laughs> right? Because they want to get the biggest scoop, right? They tell you what happened, how he did it, exactly how he did it, show you as many pictures as possible. And so it presents ideas that maybe the person would have never even thought of before. However, it also, it also desensitizes the person, deadens the person. Because there, as I said, because of the, uh, the exchange between the Muslims and non-Muslims is so great nowadays, there, are, uh, there was a time in which many Muslim communities were protected from even seeing things of evil. Not even to think about doing them, but even in their midst, they, they were like, you know what we consider nowadays people who are naive. You know, they can't even conceive of doing those kind of haram things, those kind of evil things. Because they were never exposed to them. Someone told me a story that once in Qasim, years back, they found a, a broken record. Everybody was shocked, you know, how did this record get to Qasim? Who even in Qasim has a record player, you know? <laughs> now, of course, they have much more than, uh, <laughs> than that. But what happens is, you become desensitized. The more you watch, for example, the more you see women without hijab. The more you see men and women mixing, the more you see men and women kissing on TV, the more you see people drinking alcohol, the more you see homosexuals representing themselves, you become desensitized. You begin to accept it as a fact, as something normal. And this is where the heart becomes dead. If the heart becomes, if the heart does not recognize a munkar, as a munkar, an evil, as an evil, and the heart is ready to pounce on it and try to eradicate it, then the heart is becoming dead. And when you see something over and over again, if you went outside right now, for example, and you saw a British woman, non-Muslim woman, uh, kissing a, a British non-Muslim man, even right here in the midst of our conference, you probably wouldn't think anything of it. And what is even worse than that, an even more dangerous phenomenon, and that is that when you become desensitized to something, a next step can become very, very dangerous. And that is where you get to the point where you don't see what's wrong with it. You know, you see your neighbors, for example, you have non-Muslim neighbors, 
You see them drinking every day. They're nice to you. You see their daughters going out with hijab and uh, going out with hijab. I'm sorry. <laughs> you see the you know the neighbor the neighbor's daughter, non-Muslim, you know, going out. She's halfway naked, but she's getting straight A's in school, and and she seems to be a good girl, you know, or something of that nature. And then you get to the point that you start asking, well, what's wrong with these things? You don't just become desensitized, but you can become you can get to the point where you begin to say, see or you begin to think to yourself that actually there's nothing wrong with it. You see these things occurring over and over again, and so therefore, and you don't feel there's anything wrong with it. And of course, if you get to that point, then you might do it. Or your family members might do it, and you won't do anything about it. Even those things in which there's a text, I personally experienced, for example, with respect to music. The, 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 the first argument I hear in defense of music is, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Like that's a you know, logical argument. <laughs> no. But that's always when, 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 uh, when a person comes to me and he already has in mind that he, he, you know, he's seen music, there's nothing wrong with it. That's the first thing he's going to say. I don't see anything wrong with it. And even if you tell them that the Prophet ﷺ had said that there will be, you know, there will certainly be among my people, or there will certainly be any people who will try to make permissible zina, illegal sexual intercourse, and silk and alcohol, musical instruments, even when you tell them that, it's not enough. Yeah, okay, the Prophet said that, but you know, I, I don't see, I don't see anything wrong with it. How could someone have gone to that point? How could someone have gone to that point unless he is bombarded with it and sees it and gets to the conclusion that he's seeing it and he's not seeing anything wrong with it? And as I said, if we think about ourselves, and how much of our lives is under the influence of these kinds of things, how often we are exposed to these kinds of things. And we compare that to how much of our time we dedicate to the Qur'an and learning the Qur'an. I mean, we can just ask ourselves, really ask ourselves, how much of our, of our, of our being is really a truly Islamic personality? You want to buy a house? Everyone wants to buy a house now. Right? Looking for every means to buy a house. Why is it that you want so much to buy a house? Yes, it's natural that you want to buy a house. It's natural, you know, have a place to live. This is part of the fitra. There's certain things that are part of the fitra. But sometimes you get to a point, you see that it's gotten to a point that whether it is halal or haram, they need that house. It becomes now a need. All of the laws of durura apply to the house. <laughs> Becomes a need. How did it become a need? Maybe because you're living in a society where this is something that is stressed. You have to keep up with the Joneses, as we said. You say that over here. Okay. <laughs> keep up with the Thompsons. Maybe I don't know what you would say over here. And if we go to the Quran, as I said, and Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has really put all of these different aspects that we find among the disbelievers 
that we find part of the, the global culture nowadays has explained them very well to us and has put them in a perspective that inshallah if we keep these pers- perspectives in mind inshallah we'll lead a very balanced life under the shade of the teachings of, of the Quran one of the things that I mentioned is for example the ilm or the knowledge that the, the scientific knowledge the technical knowledge even this technical knowledge and the advancements that they made in all of the physical sciences, for example, even this technical knowledge should lead them to some belief or some understanding about this creation. And if it does not lead them to some understanding about this creation, then you know that there's something wrong with them, something wrong with their approach. And most likely there's something wrong in the way they're giving you the information and in the way that they're presenting the information. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الْأَفَاقِ وَفِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَهُمْ أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we, we shall show them our signs in what you could call the, the furthest regions of the earth and in their own souls until it becomes manifest to them that this is the truth. And if that ilm that they are getting should be a clear sign to them about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about the truth of this message. Yet it is not. And in fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has even given us another very clear description of what these people become and have become and what we have to be very careful about becoming. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the disbelievers, يَعْلَمُونَ ظَاهِرًا مِنَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَهُمْ عَنِ الْآخِرَاتِ هُمْ غَافِلُونَ أَوَلَمْ يَتَفَكَّرُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ وَأَجْلٍ مُسَمَّهِ وَإِنَّ كَثِيرًا مِنَ النَّاسِ بِلِقَاءِ رَبِّهِمْ لَكَافِرُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they know they have knowledge of yani, the outward aspects or the apparent aspects of this life. But they are heedless. They are heedless about the hereafter. Do they not contemplate and yani, think about themselves even? And yani, they have all of this knowledge and yani, they should use it to think about themselves. And they should come to the conclusion as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not created the heavens and the earth and what is between them, except in truth and for a specified term. That is what that knowledge, that is what that knowledge should be helping us achieve. If we are among those people who are taking this worldly knowledge, whether we're taking it from the kuffar or from Muslims or whatever, and we keep taking this worldly knowledge, and we don't feel that it is helping us move any closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's not awakening anything in us about the truth of this message, about the truth about the Creator. Then we should, we should be wondering about ourselves. How could we be getting all of this knowledge and our attitude towards this knowledge is similar to the attitude of the disbelievers? This is a very sad sign. 
And as you increase in even computer science or physics or whatever, and these, these, this knowledge should actually be something that is helping you come even closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and think more about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if it does that, it should drive you to read the Qur'an even more. Unfortunately though, in reality though, the, the knowledge that we're getting, that we're bombarded with in all of these forms of media, some of it, as I said, it is, it is not really knowledge, even though it is presented in the form of knowledge. And we as Muslims, we know it's not knowledge because it contradicts what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guided us to in the Quran and Sunnah. But nowadays, and if many people, again, if we're not turning to the Quran, if we're not reading the Quran and understanding the Quran, we cannot then really have the knowledge to differentiate between what is really science, what is really true, and what is being presented as science or truth, but really it is one of the ways of shaitan. I'll give you an example, which is very close to a real example. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> you know, you can tell I grew up on TV, okay? I'll, I'll tell you that. My kids, put, my father put me in front of the TV and, you know, <laughs> asked me about anything before 1976, 77, 78. As I, as I said, nowadays, because of the media, because of the, you know, the global means of communication, you can be in the most remote area of Sudan and put on your laptop. You know, make sure you charge your batteries up before going to the most remote area of Sudan. And hook on to the internet. <laughs> For example, a woman, and as I said, this is based on a real story, so I'm, uh, you know, trying to... Uh, <laughs> a Muslim woman in Oman nowadays, for example. She now has access with the satellite dishes to Oprah. You know Oprah? MashaAllah. <laughs> you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Do you say that over here? <laughs> See, Ali back there is knowing what I'm saying. <laughs> so the, the woman puts on the show Oprah, which is, you know, a talk show open, and sometimes they bring like psychiatrists. So a woman calls in the show to talk to the psychiatrist. And she says, you know, I feel unfulfilled and not respected. You know, like so many Western women nowadays, for some reason. But anyway, that's... <laughs> so she goes on and on. And then, you know, the doctor's asking her questions. And then, and then the doctor comes to the conclusion that the reason you are unfulfilled and the reason you feel unrespected and so forth is because you are completely financially dependent on your husband. You have to go out and make a name for yourself and get yourself financially dependent. Go out and find yourself, as they say. <laughs> and then you will be, you will be happy. Okay? So a Muslim woman in Oman hears this and thinks, you know, maybe she heard the argument that the woman was making, maybe one or two points kind of clicked with her for some reason. And then she thinks, yes, yes. Maybe there's some something to that. And this is a psychologist, you know, PhD from uh, 
whatever university. And then what's even worse though, is that if this is backed up by other women in that same society who went maybe to western schools or had access to the internet before them and the satellites before them, or got degrees in these fields which are so dominated still by western thought, then they pump her up some more. Yeah, that's true. You know, you can't feel fulfilled in the way that you are. She could have been the most fulfilled woman in the world, but if you pump her up enough that she cannot be fulfilled in the way that she is, yeah, she will become unfulfilled. This is what psychology and brainwashing and advertising are all about. You can take a person who's perfectly happy and make them depressed. Of course, the job is to take a person who's depressed and make them happy, right? But you can do the opposite. And that, as I said, this can happen when the knowledge or the pseudo-knowledge is being transmitted to us and we are not relying on the Qur'an, we're not turning to the Qur'an and sticking to the Qur'an and trying to read the Qur'an to get its guidance for everything that is happening in our life. And much of what this society is, uh, much of much this you know, world culture nowadays as I said before, it is about enjoyment, pleasure. I mean, really just enjoying yourself. Why should you sacrifice? Why should you work? You know, as they used to say, you only go around once in life, so grab for all the guests you can. <laughs> Let's see how many are old enough to... Uh... See, Ali's back there just... Uh... <laughs> so this... Uh... <clears throat> and in this situation, they, that we get to is a situation where there's a stress on enjoying yourself. Satisfying what? Satisfying your desires, satisfying your pleasures. Of course, they don't put it in that way. Right? They put it in, in the name of freedom of speech, or freedom of expression, or art and culture. Right? Every, every people have had a culture and art, right? So why don't we go back, have our anthropologists go back and find out what was the culture and the art of, for example the people in the Hijaz before. And let's try to revive that as part of our culture and, and, and our art and so forth. But if we look at the Qur'an, we realize that there are really two things in life. There are really two things in life that you can base your life on. And you have to be careful, you have to be, you have to be certain as a Muslim that you are basing it on the right one. You are either living your life on the basis of ilm, and in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed in the Qur'an and in the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad or in reality you are basing your life on ahwa, on desires. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala juxtaposes the two of them in many places in the Qur'an. I'll just give you one example or two examples. And in this first example I'll, I'll give you, it is the ahwa of the Jews and the Christians that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to. And by the way, all of us, we all know that we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at least 17 times a day. Asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us to the straight path. And to keep us away of the path of those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is angered with. 
and those who have gone astray. And I want to mention this point first because we have to keep this in mind in the world today. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described three kinds of paths. The paths of those whom He has blessed, who is guided to the straight path. The path of those whom He is angered with. And the path of those whom He has gone astray. Now obviously the path of those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is angered with. For example, the Jews and those who behave in that manner. Most Muslims can recognize that these people are evil and they're trying to take us away from the deen or they have bad intentions and so therefore we'll stay away from them. However, unfortunately, we don't have sometimes that same awareness with those people who have gone astray. We have a tendency to think, for example, if someone has a good intention, you know, he seems to be good-hearted, that we can take maybe and benefit from them and learn from them. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it very clear for us that at the very least, these people are from the dhalin, from those people who are misguided. Can you really expect to get anything from people of that nature that will benefit you in getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? If you follow their ways, their behavior, what they have established as a culture, and you should not think that you're going to get anything from people of that nature that will bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any positive, good way. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَن تَرْضَ عَنْكَ الْيَهُودُ وَلَن نَصَارَ حَتَّى تَتَّبِعَ مِلَّتُهُمْ قُلْ إِنَّ هُدَى اللَّهِ هُوَ الْهُدَى وَلَئِنْ اتَّبَعْتَ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ بَعْدَ الَّذِي جَاءَكَ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ مَا لَكَ مِنَ اللَّهِ مِنْ وَلِيٍّ مِنْ وَلِيٍّ وَلَا نَصِيرٍ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the Jews and the Christians will not be satisfied with you until you follow their way. Say that the guidance of Allah, that is the guidance. That is the true guidance. So now we're bombarded with all of these things through all the forms of media, through this global globalization that we're seeing among us, and we always have to keep this fact in mind. That the true guidance is the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you have no excuse to give up that guidance and start turning and living your life like those people who are not living under the shade of the Qur'an. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if... You follow their desires, their ways, their false ways. After this knowledge has come to you, talking to the Prophet and of course, as a lesson for all of us, if you do this after this knowledge has come to you, after you have the Qur'an, after I have the Qur'an in my home, and I know it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I know that it is the guidance that I need, I have no excuse I really have no excuse to be spending 80% or 90% or maybe all of my time ignoring this Qur'an and getting some other way of life and living my, living my life on some principles other than what the Qur'an has brought. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet ﷺ that if you do that, if you follow their ways after this knowledge has come to you, 
then you will not find in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala any helper or any protector whatsoever. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in another verse, another set of verses, I'll take some passages from another set of verses also, and it gives us some guidance which is very important for this day and age. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ وَلَا تَتَّبِعَ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ عَمَّا جَاءَكَ مِنِ الْحَقِّ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, talking again to the Prophet judge between them according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed, and do not follow their ahwa, their vain desires, diverging you from the truth. And then in the same passage, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لَجَعَلَكُمْ أُمَّةً وَاحِدًا if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had willed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have made you one ummah, one people, one way of life. وَلَكِنْ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ فِي مَا أَتَاكُمْ But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to try us, put us to the test with respect to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Are we going to follow that? Are we going to turn to that? And study that and learn that, or are we going to turn to their ways and take from their ways and base our life on their ways, either knowingly or unknowingly? Unknowingly, because we have not turned to the Quran in the way that we are supposed to turn to the Quran. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَأَنِحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ وَلَا تَتَّبِعْ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ وَاحْذَرْهُمْ أَنْ يَفْتِنُوكَ عَنْ بَعْدِ مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ إِلَيْكَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Again, and judge between them according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed. And do not follow their vain desires. And beware of them, lest they may beguile you away from something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to you. You have to beware of them. As I said, either, and if you look at who is dominating this culture, or this global culture today, obviously is not the Muslims. It is people who are void of the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we have to be aware that they may tempt us or they may put us in such, a way, in such a situation that they can deceive us or take us away from something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to us in the Qur'an. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again continues, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do they want a ruling of jahiliyyah, of the days of jahiliyyah, the days in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rule is not being implemented, in which it is being ignored. And who can give a better judgment, a better ruling than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those people who are certain? So actually in this verse, also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that again, you either have the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is the best way, there's no way that anyone can come with a way of life or anything better than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Or you have the way of jahiliyyah. And of course to understand and to get the way from Allah, uh, the way of the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to understand it and to absorb it into your life, you have to turn to the Qur'an. You have to read and really understand the Qur'an so that you will understand what way of life Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants for you to follow in this world. 
Oh, I don't have any time left, right? Uh, okay, inshallah. Well, technically speaking, <laughs> I do not have uh, any time left. But let me just, inshallah, touch on a couple more points while the papers for the questions are being passed out. And we have to realize, uh, and of course, Sheikh Salam again mentioned some of the points, so I will not repeat what he, what he says. But I just want to mention some points about the Qur'an and what it is. And first and foremost, the Qur'an is a book of guidance. Guidance not just with respect to like some thick rulings, but guidance of what it means to be a human being, and how you should behave as a human being, and what should be your goal in life. Especially in this day and age, When I think about all of the material means and all of the wealth that is available to us today, I'm reminded of two hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. In one hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ said, "Inna li kulli ummatin fitna. Inna li kulli ummatin fitna. Wa fitna tu ummatil mal." The Prophet ﷺ said that every Ummah, every nation, every people have a specific kind of fitna for them. And the fitna for my people is wealth and mal. And when you think about that, the fact that this is the last ummah, this is the last revelation. So therefore this ummah of the Prophet Muhammad is the one that is going to live through this time in which wealth is so abundant. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ told his, even his sahaba, talking to them directly, and of course talking to the whole ummah, that he feared not poverty for them, but he feared that the earth will be made open for them and expanse for them. And they will compete in it like those people competed before, and it will distract them. It will take them away from their purpose and their goal, like it took away the people before them. Have you ever seen the dunya the worldly wealth and material means opened up like it is opened up today. You can sit in any part of the world and order anything you want from any other part of the world. And FedEx will get, get it there in two days, right? <laughs> see, see how commercials can be thrown into a lecture and you don't even realize it. <laughs> now you're all thinking, okay, next time FedEx. <laughs> so these things are very relevant to us. These these, uh, these hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. And so therefore also the message that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of the very important messages for us in the Qur'an that I want to emphasize, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown us the real worth, the real purpose of this life. And the real balance that we should have in this life. And what we should be working for. And every Muslim... Every Muslim should be conscious of the fact of what he is working for. What is he living for? Is he living for this life or is he living for the hereafter? Every Muslim should be conscious of that fact. Is he living for this life or is he living for the hereafter? Of course, living for the hereafter doesn't mean you ignore everything of this life. But it means you use it to help you in the hereafter.
And as I said, this point has to be very clear in every Muslim's life, in every Muslim's mind. Is he living for, for this life or is he living for the hereafter? Because if he's living for this life, then as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran, مَنْ كَانِ يُرِيدُ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَزِينَتَهَا نُوَفِي إِلَيْهِمْ أَعْمَالَهُمْ فِيهَا وَهُمْ فِيهَا لَا يُبْخَصُونَ أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ لَيْسَ لَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَاتِ إِلَى النَّارِ وَحَبِتَ مَا صَنَعُوا فِيهَا وَبَاطِلٌ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that whoever is desiring the life of this world and its glitter, then to them we shall pay the price of their deeds therein. If you want this life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give it to you. It's not important to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this life. So if you want this life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward you for your deeds in this life and you will not be deprived whatsoever. But those people who are working for this life then for them there is nothing in the hereafter but the hellfire. Vain are the designs that they framed in this world, and void are the deeds that they do. On the other hand, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, again expressing both, in this, in this set of verses, expressing both sets of people, مَنْ كَانِ يُرِيدُ الْعَاجِلَةَ عَجَّلْنَا لَهُ فِيهَا مَا نَشَاءُ لِمَنْ ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَا لَهُ جَهَنَّمَا يَصْلَهَا مَذْمُومًا مَلْحُورًا وَمَنْ أَرَادِ الْآخِرَةَ وَسَعَهَا لَهَا سَعِيَهَا وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنْ فَأُولَٰئِكَ كَانَ سَعِيُهُمْ مَشْكُورًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Whoever desires the immediate and the worldly gratifications we hasten for him from it what we will to whom we please then we have made for him hell in which he will burn, censored, and banished. But whoever desires the hereafter and exerts the effort due to it while he is a believer, it is those whose efforts will be appreciated. So the balance in this life, and especially in this day and age, we have to go to this Qur'an, the final revelation for mankind, that is going to show us how to live in this day and age. It's going, to, it's going to counter all of those things that we are being bombarded with. It is all in there in the Qur'an. All the defenses, all the things that can wake you up and alert you to all of these things that you're being bar- bombarded with. It is in the Qur'an. It is in this final revelation. But you have to turn to it. You have to read it. You have to learn it. You have to apply it. All of these things require sacrifice. You have to sacrifice your time. You cannot be sitting here leading, think you're going to lead a life of luxury and just enjoyment and pleasure and never sacrifice. But you have to sacrifice your time to learn the Qur'an. The Prophet ﷺ in many hadith when talking about him, he gives you the impression you have to seek it. You have to put effort out to get it. And then also to apply the Qur'an, you're going to have to sacrifice Especially when you're new, when you're just starting out, just turning back to the deen, just turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You may have to sacrifice a lot of the things that your nafs wants. A lot of the things of this world, for example, that you may not be able to get 
through halal means, you will have to sacrifice them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of that, inshallah, to meet your goal that you should always put in front of you. A Muslim should be relentless with respect to his goal. Should always be in front of him. You know, you find people who want to go to the Olympics. They work 18 hours a day, some of them. For what? And it's just to go to the Olympics. And then by the time they're 30, they can't do that anymore. And they, and they put all that time into a goal of that nature. A Muslim should be even more relentless and sacrifice even more for his goal. And his goal should be to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the proper way in order to earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hereafter and to be entered into his jinnah and saved from the punishment in the hereafter. On that note, inshallah, I'll end the lecture and open the floor for any comments or, or I guess just questions actually. <laughs> The first question here is, if I've offered my kids the best of knowledge in Islam up to their adulthood, but later in life they were influenced by the Western culture, will I still be held responsible for their deeds? Yeah, obviously, you are held responsible for what is within your means. So assuming that the, the question is, you know, the, the premise is correct, you did what you could, and then the person chose to follow a different way. Well, this is that person's decision. You do what you, you did what you could. But if you laid a good foundation for them, inshallah, don't, you know, don't give up on them. Don't think, okay, it's gone. It might be just a temporary thing where shaitan has gone control over them. But inshallah, your foundation will come back as you keep reminding them, as you keep giving them kind nasiha. Inshallah, they will, they will, they will come back. So, Number one, inshallah, you fulfilled your responsibility, but maybe you have a different responsibility now. <laughs> um, any, any questions that you think might be too <laughs> difficult for me to answer, please uh, just <laughs> throw them to the I side. can't read off it, and that's the problem. Um, question here from the sisters, I'm just going to take them as they come. Dearest speaker, why are the Muslims around the world, um, why don't they unite to help the Palestinians? Are they afraid of the West? First of all, I want topics as close, I mean questions as closely related to the topic. I should have... Uh, mentioned that uh, earlier. But this is, I, I think that this question is a reflection of how we deal with the Qur'an. First of all, I don't believe that we would be even in this situation if there were times that people had strayed from the Qur'an itself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not change the condition of a people, which really means He does not take a ni'mah, a blessing away from them. Until they change what is in themselves. So we, uh, you know, the Muslims were very strong at one time in Palestine, in many parts of the world. But as they begin to leave the Qur'an, as they begin to desire things that the Qur'an showed them, these are not the things you should be desiring, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took that ni'mah away from them. And one of the keys, I'll say one of the keys definitely, 
is that we have to return to the way of life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered for us. And that was one of the points of, of my lecture, that we are allowing ourselves to be bombarded with so much stuff, and therefore it is affecting our lives, affecting our goals. Maybe even we don't realize that we be, we're becoming a little... What? <laughs> give, me a, give me a word here, please, I'm stuck. <laughs> we're becoming, let's say, a little Westerner, without even realizing it. You know? You ask your son, what do you want to become in life? Oh, I want to become a basketball player. And this is a Muslim child, you know, going to so-called Islamic school, maybe. <laughs> Unfortunately, even sometimes Islamic school, they don't get what they need. But his goal, all he can think of life is he wants to become a basketball player. You know, or movie star. Or rock star, even. Uh, back to the brothers' questions. Regarding music, many brothers have musical ringtones on their cell phones. Any words of advice? And in my, my advice, you know, Sheikh Jabir might disagree, that's why he's already... Uh, my, my advice is, you know, whenever you can avoid something which is doubtful even, avoid it. You know, what's... Like, for example, let's take another example. Are you listening to me? No, it's okay. <laughs> take another example. You turn on Windows 98, 95, 2000, whatever Windows you want to turn on. You have a choice, right? You can turn on silently. It can turn on with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Or it can turn on with some, you know, you know, Beethoven's Fifth, right? It's one of the options. So what do you do? You don't know, you don't know what effect leaving Beethoven's Fifth will have on you. And you don't know maybe what blessings you may get if you intentionally turned it off. So I would say that applies to everything. Um, from the sisters, they, sometimes my parents want me to switch the TV on, which is often has haram things on it. Uh, should I disobey them? Can I switch it on if it isn't something haram showing? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has told us, uh, you should يعني, help one another in things of piety and righteousness. If you know that something is haram, then you shouldn't, even if it comes from your parents. They don't have the right to ask you. You know, the, as I said, your, your parents should be trying to save you from the hellfire, not telling you to do something which, uh, you know, they know is maybe haram and you might be involved in, in it. Yeah. I think the answer to that is very clear. Inshallah, it doesn't need much comment. Uh, any yes or no type questions? Uh, 